1 Kings 18, 18. So in this chapter, the prophet of Israel, Elijah, is talking to King Ahab. And the King Ahab is the wicked king of Israel that took over and turned all the people's hearts away from God to worship idols. The other thing I want to say before we start reading is that God had called Elijah to a confrontational style of ministry. He did not send him to say comforting, uplifting, beautiful, flowery words, no. But his words caused challenge and they caused introspection and required a personal decision. And as a result, we're going to see that this kind of ministry caused Elijah to experience some personal struggles of his own, of loneliness and isolation and fear. So reading verse 18, 19, 20, and 21, I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You, Ahab, and your family, Jezebel, are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord, and you have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said these famous words, How much longer will you waver? The King James says, How much longer will you halt, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And you'll notice the people were completely silent. They had no response. So let's stop here for just a minute because I want to point out a couple of things that we should note before we go on. For one, we need to understand that this was not Elijah's first rodeo. He was not a novice in his position of prophet with the Lord. Because in Kings 7, 1 Kings 17, the chapter just prior to this one, He'd already experienced four mind-blowing, if you will, miracles of God. <coughs> Excuse me. In verse 1, God sent him to the people to prophesy drought. Wonderful. Great. Right off the bat, says, go tell them we're going to have a drought. And Elijah prayed, and God stopped the rain for the three and a half years. And in verses 2 through 5, God sent Elijah to the brook Cherith, to where God had instructed the ravens to take food to Elijah and nourish him. And God had told him to drink the water from the brook Cherith until it dried up from the rain. But when the brook dried up, have no fear, Elijah, because look at verse 8. God sent him from the brook where the ravens fed him to the city of Zarephath, to the home of the little widow woman with, a, with the enough 
uh, flour and oil to make one last cake for her and her son. But through Elijah, God performed one of the most amazing miracles in the Bible. For during the entirety of this drought, her barrel of meal and her cruise of oil remained full and they were able to be sustained. And, by the way, Elijah lived with her during this period of time, and she fed him also. And then in verse 22 of chapter 17, when the same widow's son died, God, through the prayers of Elijah, resurrected the boy from the dead, right in front of his mother's eyes. And the widow even said, now I know for a surety that you are a man of God and that God speaks through you. So this was not Elijah's first time proving to Israel nor proving to himself that God was real and was truly backing up his word through the ministry that God called him to. So now if we look back to Chapter uh, 18 and verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now, having spoken these very self-defeating words, he began setting up the most outrageous miracle of all of his ministry. And you know the story how he told the prophets of Baal to set up their altar first. You go first, he said, and you invoke your God to set it on fire. But despite them crying all day long and cutting themselves, the Bible says, with knives and swords, they cut themselves. Still no response. And then Elijah set about to set up his altar the altar to the God of Israel with the sacrifice on top and he dug the trench or had the trench dug and he told the people to pour the water three times, go back and add more water and cover the whole thing. And I read that this trench that was dug was deep enough to hold three gallons of water so after it was full of the water in the trench, Elijah prayed in verse 36. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant Prove that I have done all this at your command. O oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know you, that you are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Don't you know when God is moved to perform an act like this, it's so that he can bring the people back to himself always. And verse 38, immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it even licked up all the water that was in the trench. 
And when the people saw it, they fell down on the ground and cried out, The Lord God, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. And Elijah then commanded, as God had instructed him, that the prophets of Baal be put to death, and they were. Now, I'm not going to go on and complete the rest of this chapter, the next events. You know them anyway, but I want to stop here and focus on a few things. Three times in these chapters, Elijah says how lonely he is, how pitiful he is, how he's the only one carrying the torch and left working for God, and everybody else is doing evil, and he's carrying this load all by himself. Having been so mightily used by God in such miraculous undeniable ways, and yet Elijah's humanity was still such a personal struggle in his life. And I'm telling you, we're no different. We're no different than Elijah. I'm no different than he. I'm susceptible to human failings and failures too. Even though we are warned by God's word not to worry, we're given the assurance that a submitted life to Christ can fully trust in him. And we know that Satan is the father of all lies. We do know all these things, yet still we can fall prey to those lies and the cunning, subtle ways that the devil works. And if you don't believe me, just take a look at Eve. Now, I've said before that when we live by ourselves and we don't have someone to sound off to and to receive feedback from, it's very easy and tempting to internalize things and to listen to ourselves far more than wisdom would advise us to do. Because the devil is good at planting seeds, and he will plant a seed of fear, and then he will use that seed and that opportunity that the fear causes to grow and to develop into a full-blown state of anxiety and worry, and that crowds out God's ability, his omnipotence, and it diminishes what we know. It masks what we know, which is the absolute love and sufficiency that God is for us. And this is the devil's business. It is not of God when this happens. And just because we are believers doesn't mean that we are immune to this struggle between fear and faith. Yes, God's word admonishes us not to become overly anxious about anything, but to pray about everything and to have faith in God. It sounds so easy to do, and we do do it to a degree in our heart. We have faith in him, ultimately, for everything that we are and that we need. But even for seasoned believers like Elijah, if we're not careful, it can become a personal struggle. I recently experienced 
two physical issues that caused me to become very fearful and anxious. Things not appropriate for discussion here, but very scary nonetheless. And of course, I prayed. Of course, I resisted the devil. Of course, I bathed myself in the word of God and did the best I could to trust in the Lord. But then it came to a point that I had no choice but to have these issues checked out medically, which, if you know me, I don't like doing that, especially since COVID happened. My uh, suspicions are way greater than they used to be. But I am ashamed to tell you this, that my fear was so unrealistic because the results of these findings, the results of these things, were almost comically normal, easily fixed, easily taken care of, so much so that they far outweighed my fear level. I understood Elijah's dilemma in a way that I hadn't before. He was lonely, he was afraid, and he had a huge responsibility on his shoulders. For Elijah, in all the time that he had spent with the Lord, the voices that he had heard from God, the voice that he had heard from God, telling him and instructing him what to do, built an intimacy with him. And in spite of his humanity, God used him tremendously. I want to say that again. Even though Elijah had this failure over and over where he let this fear and this loneliness come forward and be the predominant force, God still used him and trusted his heart. And I want to tell you this, until God took him to heaven in the whirlwind in a chariot to fulfill another future role that we've yet to see come to pass, but we will, we will see it. So our failures do not prevent God from using us, but what it does is mask and camouflage our ability to see him clearly. The potential for something serious to have been wrong with me was there, but the results for which I definitely praise God every day were so vastly different from the lies that Satan told me, and that's the point. The lies were, were so wrong and caused the fear and I do thank the Lord that I am fine and there's nothing to worry about and that it's all been taken care of. But the learning is this. I am ashamed as I stand before you that the fear and the worry and the anxiety was bigger than my demonstrated faith. And I did repent of this and I asked the Lord to forgive me and to help me to press in deeper to where I can always know 
that state of intimacy that Elijah knew. Because whether the Lord takes me today or tomorrow or he leaves me here to walk through some valleys, even those valleys of death, I still have no reason to fear because he's with me and he will walk those valleys with me. But in my humanity, I need his help. Even if it takes me time and time again to learn it, like Elijah, that I can trust him and that God will exceed my fear if I just let him so that I can be usable in his kingdom. I do want to go forward just a little bit. Chapter 19, one verse or maybe two verses there. Three verses there. Chapter 19, verse 11. God had it out with Elijah over his attitude just a little bit. And he said in verse 11, Elijah, go stand before me on the mountain. And Elijah stood there and the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm occurred on the mountain which was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. And then after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12, and after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, what was there? The still, small voice, the gentle whisper. And the Bible says when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. I researched what it meant that God wasn't in the uproar of the of the mighty wind and the earthquake and the fire, that none of this represented who God was or what he was saying to Elijah. And those things did not move Elijah. He wasn't afraid of the wind or the earthquake or the fire. But when he heard the still, small voice speaking to his heart, he knew it was the Lord. And he covered his face and he went out and he said, I'm here. What will you have me to do next? Basically, that's not in scripture, but we know from the fact that he moved on from there, he was ready to be used again. God doesn't always reveal himself loudly. Big church meetings, loud worship, and prominent leaders, they all have their place. And I thank God that I can watch them and be blessed by them. But do you know and do you recognize when you hear that gentle voice that it's him? Whether it's a loud crashing of thunder and lightning or whatever, we need to be able to discern that gentle voice for ourselves and I would say one more thing coming to a close even though we may not know them even though we may not know who and where they are God has a people that are faithfully serving faithful faithfully fulfilling their position in him 
and we are not alone. Will you stand with me this morning? Faith or fear? Psalm 46.10, David wrote, Be still and know that I am God. Be still of heart. Be still of fear. Be still of anxiety. And trust in the name of the Lord more than our fear. Let it go and surrender it to him. Father, we thank you that we can trust in you. You're so faithful to us. And even in our times of humanity's failures, Lord, you're standing there whispering sweet things in our ears to let us know that you haven't walked away from us, to let us know, Lord, that you are, you are holding us up with your right, righteous hand. Oh, God, I pray that if there is any who has fear in their heart today, Lord, that that sweet, gentle voice will come through loud and clearly, Lord, and that they will see, as you helped me to see, Lord, I don't need to fear, I need to trust. We thank you for it, Lord. And I ask today that you'd be with each and every one that we called by name, O oh God. Give them strength, give them courage, Lord, and not fear, and be that sweet voice that they hear, Lord, and that they rely upon for their healing. Oh God, go with us today and keep us under your power. Keep us under the care of your hand, and we give you all the glory for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. <laughs>